lose their weight and then they stop the, the injections or drops whatever they're using and then they go back to eating a normal amount and their weight rebounds it's like it's it's normal because your your metabolism you're eating so much more that of course your body's going to store more of as fat so we have to try and gradually increase that gradually increase your metabolism to catch up hi i'm claire goodwin and this is the pcos nutritionist podcast I have PCOS too and I know how hard it can be to get the help you need. So I bring together my expertise as a registered nutritionist and exercise scientist together with other experts I trust and people with real life lived experience of PCOS to help you get the information you need to make a real difference to your symptoms. Now if you've been struggling with PCOS, working with us might just be the game changer you've been looking for. You see, PCOS is a complex hormonal disorder that can affect everything from your menstrual cycle to your fertility to your mental health. And while medication can be helpful in managing some of the symptoms of PCOS, it's often not enough on its own. That's where a lifestyle change comes in. We take a holistic approach to PCOS, looking at everything from your diet to your stress levels to your sleep habits and create a personalized plan that works for you will help you make lifestyle changes that can reduce your symptoms, improve your fertility and boost your overall well-being. Whether you're struggling with weight gain, acne or mood swings, we'll work with you to develop a plan that's tailored to your unique needs and goals. And the best part? We'll be with you every step of the way, providing support, accountability and guidance as you navigate your PCOS journey. We have both our fully supported 12-week program, the PCOS Protocol, or you can book one-on-one appointments with myself, Claire, or one of our other qualified nutritionists. Head to thepcosnutritionist.com to either sign up for the PCOS protocol or to book a one-on-one appointment. The links are in the show notes. So today we're talking all about Ozympic and I mean I have done a few podcasts about Ozympic and the other I mean, I'm saying Ozempic, but I mean all of the others, the Wigobi, Monjaro, the... The GLP-1 Agonis. Yes, <laughs> the, the real name for them. But I think they're a fantastic drug for a lot of people. But what I am seeing is that there is some slightly problematic stuff coming out where people don't really understand how they work and they might be using them for short-term gain but actually it's having a really bad long-term effect on them. So that's what we wanted to go over today, was just like, especially celebrities. I just think there's so much misinformation in the, in the media at the moment, right? Absolutely, and I think celebrities really owe it to everyone. I know this is such a contentious conversation, but if you're in the media and you've got a following, I think you do need to take some respons- responsibility over what you're saying um, and how you're influencing people because I think um the more that we see celebrities using these sorts of drugs for not uh potentially off-label uses and I mean we can't say this entirely we don't know everyone's medical history and so it could be completely correct that some of these people are on these drugs for the right reasons which is insulin resistance however we do know that it is quite rife in America that these are being used and around the rest of the world really that these are being used um off label for weight loss and 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 in some cases like we see that being fine I think where it's more problematic is where it's used to shed 
you know, micro amounts probably, yeah. that 5 to 10 kg amount just yeah. to get a bit more of a svelte figure. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And I, I've i seen quite a bit of this I'm, and I'm also seeing it with patients as well. And I think that as someone who has struggled with weight, I get it. Yeah. I totally get it. And I get that... Especially like, sticky weight. Yeah. Yeah. That Insulin weight. Yeah, that doesn't seem weight. to respond to anything. Like, yeah. doesn't seem to respond to training 20 plus hours a week and eating a really Nothing. good diet. Yeah. And, like, and, and in fact, it seems to be going the other way. Is that I totally get it. And I totally get it. Why you would want to be like, well, this... Why wouldn't I? You know, why wouldn't I? There, Nothing else has worked. Or this this seems to be really risk-free so let's give it a go um so I think that this is really just you know really coming from a place of I totally get it and I don't mean to be judgy at all it's just the I want you to know like the potential other impacts because we just hear and we're gonna um, talk a bit about what different celebrities are saying and kind of unpick those and talk about what is actually going on so that you can make an informed decision because I think what we're seeing through a lot of these um, celebrities as well is that they're not even getting the right information, information themselves yeah, completely from their doctor. yeah they're, and so it's not really informed choice and I think what we'll see and maybe you know maybe we might see in two or three years time people being like I didn't know the same thing about what we see people saying about the pill now like I got told to go on the pill because it was going to regulate my cycle yep. and my hormones yeah and fix my acne and then I didn't actually realize how it was doing that I didn't realize that in giving me a regular period it wasn't it was stopping me from ovulating so it wasn't actually a regular cycle or I didn't realize that it wasn't fixing my acne it was just masking the problem while I was on it and as soon as I came off it my acne would come back which is a lot of what we're going to talk about today around these drugs as well and and their effects long after you stop using them yeah Yeah. exactly I think that's the thing so it's giving you that informed consent so yeah you don't end up in even in six months time being like oh I didn't realize this was the effect um, so, what have what's being said? Let's start well, with that. Well, I have done a wee bit of research. A resident, a yeah. resident, like um, <laughs> uh, probably pop trend follower. Pop <laughs> yeah, yeah. I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I do. Yeah, a lot of. Um, well, I think as well, I'm just in the age where so many people are talking about pop culture as well. I just, yeah, yeah, a lot of friends. I've got a few friends who love it too. So. Um, definitely keep if I'm not keeping up with it they're keeping up with it and we're collectively keeping up with it um but yeah I just wanted to like I I really took some notes on this because I didn't want to misquote anyone and I think it's really important to like maybe dissect exactly what they're saying so mm. let's start with Stassi Schroeder for it if you don't know her she is on Vanderpump Rules and she recently went on Call Her Daddy podcast which is like one of the world's biggest podcasts um big fan I'm a big fan of that one anyway and she has been quoted saying oh my god I really want to give it Ozempic um a try when I give birth she's currently pregnant the amount of times I've researched this being like I mean I think it's safe and healthy like I think it's good for you it's like taking vitamins she said after my first pregnancy I ate bone broth for six months um I don't want to do that again and so I think so eight bone to, try, to, lose to try and lose the baby weight. So now she's thinking, she's done a bit of research, done a bit of googling, and now she's like, it seems safe and healthy, almost as good as taking vitamins. So I think there's a bit to unpack here. First is the problematic need to shed the baby okay. weight. 
Yeah. Um, which is a whole conversation in itself. Um, but yeah, secondly, like, you know, is this how people are getting their information? Are they just Googling it? And what are they reading? And 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 where does this like a vitamin come from as yeah. well? Yeah, I think that that's probably the one that stuck out to me. Is like, there's no correlation, like no likeness there between Ozempicor in SLGP1 inhibitor and um, and vitamins. Like, mm. they act in totally different ways. So I think that that's, yeah, I think it's quite a misunderstanding there. But unless you're in science, unless you're in this area, like you wouldn't know you that. You wouldn't like, know the difference it, between a supplement and a drug, I don't yeah. think. Yeah. Especially because, I mean, like, I've probably said the same thing about, like, I don't know, like, talking about PCOS symptoms and how, like, you might take, like, a herb, for example. Yeah. You know, like, you might take a course of herbs for, like, three months to have an impact, but you wouldn't take them forever. And I, I might have said previously that... Um, it's kind of like taking a medication like an antibiotic you take it for a course of time but you don't take it forever because then your body will lose its effectiveness to it and herbs do work in that way you don't want to be constantly exposing your body to them so yeah I mean for someone listening to, like, to, listen to that then might deduce and go okay so how is a drug any different to a herb yeah, yeah a supplement is the same as a like or a herb is the same as a medication yeah so I get it but also too like so so incorrect right? mm, yeah and I think this is the the issue is, you know, Call of Daddy is like the biggest podcast in the world. It's huge. The followership of women in this particularly influential age is massive. And then to hear someone who we know, and it's great, Alex Cooper, the host, joked afterwards, this is not medical advice. Like, she quickly threw that in there. Um, however, I think, yeah, don't take things like this that you hear for granted or, you know, Yes, Stazzy might be great on Vanderpump Rules, but, like, she's not your nutritionist or your doctor. And mm. I think just be really mindful that that, that doesn't subconsciously, like, yeah. give you that understanding of the drug as well. I think we need to really try and discern what we learn from pop culture and what we learn from science and evidence um, as two quite different things. Yeah, probably especially when it's something like a podcast. Yeah. I think that people have tended to look to podcasts for more kind of like a lot of informative information. Completely. And so maybe you've just like, it's just sort of a subliminal thing that you, because you've heard it on a podcast, you might trust it a little or, bit more than yeah. maybe what you see on like Instagram or something. Or TikTok, completely. Yeah. And I think as well that, that we see that a lot of times. Like we've seen even some really um like I love Stephen Bartlett Diary of a CEO but he's had a few guests on there and I've he takes everything that they say is bible because he's not an expert in science he's mm. a, he's he's in the business world um but he really he is interested in health and wellness for like personal reasons yeah. but interesting to hear him host these people and and kind of talk about what they do yet I'm sitting there being like mm, there's, there's not evidence behind that or but only because I know and I research and I work in this area mm. do I know that that's the case. But these people come on with their, like, accolades and things like that, and, and you do listen to them. So I think even knowing, like you say, anyone can have a podcast, um, and oftentimes these aren't fact-checked. Um, mm. Even Huberman sometimes gets things wrong, and he's, you know, like a Stanford lecturer. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like, I... <laughs> He did a really great one with Sarah Godfrey um, on hormones, female hormones. But in there, he even says things like, 
So why wouldn't all females get like a basic fertility panel mm. done? And even Sarah was like, I don't know. And I was like, I know, I know, because they're not correct. It mm. doesn't tell you how many eggs you have left. Like, but you're hearing that and going, yeah, why don't I? And this tells me categorically, like whether I need to freeze my eggs or not. And, AMH uh, is everything. Yeah. That's the, the, the test you're talking about. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Completely. Yeah, AMH and, and FSH mm. test that they often do is like a, it's often marketed as like a fertility warrant of fitness or fertility test. And it isn't accurate. Mm. Like it is, yeah, it might be one of the better ones out there, but mm. it's certainly not accurate. And it can lead a lot of people to think that they're in declining fertility when they're not. Mm-hmm. So, but, you know, you listen to that and... You know, that was one part that I was like, oh, I'm really surprised they didn't know. But that's mm. not the area that they necessarily work in all the time. Sarah was saying she works with a lot of like male NBA players now, and so she's kind of out of that, out of that too. So it's really specific. I mean, it's why like, God, if people ask me about like pediatric nutrition, I've got a daughter who's 16 month old, and I have no idea. Yeah. Right? Like I have to f- find this out now because it's not something that I know anything about. I know about PCOS, I know about hormones. That's my lane, and that's mm-hmm. what I like. What I do. So, yeah, I think that it is important to kind of query a lot of the stuff yeah. that we are hearing, and especially do your own research, maybe a wee bit more, and yeah. and consult not just one health professional but like a range of health professionals too and see what they they think about it as well yeah exactly so i know that in housewives of new jersey i think that she was saying that her doctor said that it is completely safe was it her yes yeah so dolores cantania is yeah real housewives of new jersey and she's been quite vocal about um going on Ozempic and and then Monjaro yeah Yeah. so she's now on Monjaro which is kind of like it's a slight different it's a GLP-1 agonist and it's got another component to it so it's sort of like a boosted um Ozempic if you will um and so two two mechanisms of action as opposed to just the one just the one yeah that's probably one thing we haven't actually described is like what these do yeah we'll link to the other podcast where we have like talked a lot more about what they do but basically the way that they work is that they are they're really targeting our insulin which is why I think that they can be quite great for a lot of people with PCOS because they are actually treating the problem of weight gain in PCOS which is driven mostly by our insulin our blood sugar hormone um, and they are actually treating that problem as opposed to like some of the amphetamine based ones which just like basically are like speed that you're taking to increase your like jitteriness and metabolism and then as soon as you go off them they're not going to work but so I like the fact that they are actually acting on that and they are definitely way better than the other insulin medication we have which is um, metformin which is pretty ineffective especially for weight Um, but that's the way that they're working but the side one of the other and they, they are they are quite effective while you're on the drug but the other way that they do work is that they um they reduce your appetite through making you a bit nauseous really that's how we know that thing something is an appetite suppressant is because it actually makes you feel a little bit nauseous it might not even be detectable that it's making you nauseous but that is really how it works as an appetite suppressant and so in that way can also improve or help with weight gain because your weight loss because you're just not eating as much because you don't feel like eating yeah we typically see on higher doses of ozempic 
people eating more around 800 calories is about all that they can really stomach in the day and then they obviously aren't feeling hungry only eating that lesser amount so that's where that appetite suppression really comes in Mm, yeah absolutely but it does also so trials of the um of the ozempic and the like show that it is really successful in weight i mean i think that the it's the trials have been about or shown about similar effect as bariatric surgery for a lot of people which is incredible which is really incredible and super promising because obviously bariatric surgery is quite invasive surgery and does also have some and it's cost of, yeah, costly costly yeah. yeah and does have also some long-term implications in terms of like weight regain and stuff but um so it's, it has been shown to be really effective for weight loss and also has been shown to be really effective for improving insulin but only while you're taking it so unfortunately the downside is that as soon as you stop taking it as soon as you come off it now these are relatively new drugs we don't actually have any really long-term studies the longest we've got is about a year long i think was the new england journal of medicine i will have to look that up but i think it was about a year yeah i think so too nothing more than that at the moment that's been published and so we don't know what it's like in three years or four years. But at the moment, that the other drugs that have been around for longer, so Saxenda is a drug that's kind of like the poor cousin to Ozempic. It's, it is not as effective. It can be, it's probably more effective than things like metformin, but certainly not as effective as like Ozempic and Monjaro. Um, that is, that we have had that around for a lot longer, and so therefore we have a lot longer trials. And with that, that showed that all of the benefit of that drug that um, happened while you were taking it was reversed within four weeks after stopping it. And so that's why at the moment there isn't any, the advice is you have to, once you're on these drugs, you have to stay on them, which is crazy because there's like such a massive cost implication. There's a massive implication in terms of supply. So what if you actually can't get the supply to stay on it? And therefore, um, and also we don't actually know what it does to your body, like from if you're on it for more than a year, because we don't actually have any trials. We don't actually have any trials of like what your body looks like 10 years after if you've been taking it for a year. So we work with a few of our patients. We think that there is actually a way that we can get them off and we have been trialing this with a few of our patients and it has been quite successful. But uh, the standard advice is you're on this because once you're off it everything will be reversed yeah so it's kind of like committing to a long-term medication and I think that's something that you really have to consider before you get on it is am I prepared to be on this for life essentially and also what happens when I get to the highest dose that I can have and then I you know things start to go backwards from there there's so many questions that we just don't really know so I think it's just about understanding all of that before embarking on the journey and that's totally fine um and and you know science is constantly evolving we're not saying that things you know won't improve and get better but i think just being mindful um and aware before you join that that you know before you start using um a drug like this that that's kind of some of the implications i think another part as well is around like the supply if anyone doesn't know about that there have been major shortages because it has been in such high demand to the extent that even those who are using it for the fda approved reason which is for diabetes aren't even able to get um the necessary dose that they need so this is like this company is kind of i guess the next um 
what's the one that Pfizer, you know, mm. Novo Nordisk or, or whatever they're called. I think that's what they are. They're like Danish or Swedish or something. They are just pumping out these units now. And I think it's like a farmer race at the moment to try and, you know, bring out the new be- next best thing and all of that. So there is going to be huge advancements because they've just seen how impressive the demand for this sort of drug is. But I think, yeah, that just goes to show as well, um, don't jump into it. You know, like so many people must be jumping into this without really understanding, um, yeah, the yeah. implications. And we've seen it with our patients where they've been on it, they've had good improvements in like weight and insulin and then they can't get it and then yeah. their weight rebounds. Yeah. And so... So they might be in this, left like, in this like six-week time frame where they've built up in terms of dosage and then they have to drop back down to zero rather than titrating down or going down to lower doses they've had to completely go cold turkey so Mm. yeah it's very real risk with new medication like this especially one that's getting in demand yeah and so you've got to be prepared for the fact that that could like be the rug could be pulled out from underneath you Mm. and your weight could quickly rebound to what it was before and the other thing i think is that we know from so many studies is that most of the time when weight rebounds it rebounds to a higher level than what it was before it's kind of like when you ping back a rubber band that rubber band in the process of pinging it back stretches and so therefore it actually goes further than what it did at the start and so that is what we generally see from like yo-yo dieting and this would be a similar thing a yo-yo kind of weight is that Mm -hmm. our body actually overcompensates and puts on more than what it lost and so I think that's a, a very real risk as well when it's like the supply not just the supply issue but also when you if you do come off it or decide that you don't want to be on it anymore then understanding how to come off that and the way to mitigate weight yeah. gain in the best possible way yeah exactly. yeah so that's where um i think going back to um, dolores well yeah. but also yeah. too for was it stassi oh yes yeah is that when she's saying that i you know like i think it's like safe and surely well okay one thing is we don't actually really know like yeah. we don't actually have any long-term trials like yes it looks to be at the moment safe well you know like there's very, very little risk with um, with people dying while mm. you're like on it and things like that. Mm. But also, there is like there is a risk of thyroid tumors. We mm-hmm. do know. Um, so anyone that's got a thyroid condition, which is 25% of people with PCOS, actually have a thyroid a thyroid condition, especially thyroid antibodies, mm. which um, is part of the Hashimoto's or autoimmune version of hypothyroidism. And so for them. Yeah, you'd really want to make sure that they've checked this out before you're going on that because this is something that we do know. But man, most people that I've seen, have, that no one's checked their thyroid antibodies before they've gone on it. And I think that's a really good segue into back into Dolores because yeah. she she is quoted saying, "I was medically prescribed both because I am insulin resistant pre diabetic, which is like great. That's you know on label use of it." And because I have a thyroid issue. So, I mean, we're not the prescribing doctors. We don't know what's going on there. Um, But I'm going through menopause. I have thyroid issue. I have inflammation. And the weight is hard to take off, which completely those all all three of those things as well as insulin resistance will absolutely make weight quite hard to shake. But yes, completely when it comes to the thyroid issue, firstly, be aware that this is not a medication for a thyroid issue, so they shouldn't be put together in the same sentence. And as well, that added risk of thyroid tumors. So I think, um, again, approach celebrities talking about it or what other people are saying about a medication like this with caution. Mm, yeah, Absolutely, because if you looked at that and be like, yeah, that's me, 
I also have like PCOS, pre-diabetes, insulin resistance, a thyroid condition. I'm going through perimenopause or menopause, and yeah, maybe this is maybe all those conditions are why I'm struggling with losing weight. And yeah, that could be, mm. but yeah, you'd really want to make sure that your doctor also was thinking about all of those because doctors are also under a huge amount of pressure to um, to get you the outcome in a short period of time. And so if you go in there and being like, I want this drug, and you're putting pressure on them then they might have to spend most of your consultation actually, yeah, they might kind of miss something like that because they just don't have time to really understand and, and look at your picture and then go, or, you know, look at and go, okay, have you had a thyroid check, your thyroid check in the last 10 years or even, you know, like, and then do that before prescribing it. Not really doing their due, gil- due no. diligence. Do, I can't say that. Do, due diligence. <laughs> that one got me um yeah and I think yeah I think that's so important and I think it's also really important to know in the states there's a lot of clinics that aren't your regular like doctor's clinics that are prescribing this so they're not going to be doing their DD I'm just gonna say DD <laughs> not even in the states even yeah. in like Australia like I know Juniper Health um mm. part of the eucalyptus group they do that, it's an online questionnaire you go through and then you can get prescribed, which is like great for access to things like this. But yeah, if you don't know this and the doctor that you would get put up with with a consultation might not have access to all of your medical records, I'm not quite sure. But because yeah, you yeah, you're not going with your yeah, regular doctor, doctor or doctor, yeah. you know, like they, they may miss something like this. Mm-hmm. So just, yeah, just be a bit careful if you're, if you're doing it through those. Um, yeah those routes yeah and just making sure that that doctor's yeah being thorough and has your best interests at heart yeah, yeah. which it, it can be really hard especially if you're so set on wanting that drug mm. like you know you're putting them under a lot of pressure to prescribe you that mm. because obviously this is what you want but it yeah I would just be like don't don't put them under that pressure at the risk of them not being thorough thorough yeah, yeah or putting your long term health at risk because yeah, you don't want to in, you know, five years' time be like, I didn't know that this could happen and I kind of trusted them to do their due diligence and yes, I did put pressure on them, but I also like But also they're the doctor and they're yeah, prescribing yeah. and they still have like a code yeah. of conduct that they yeah. need to adhere to. I think the final point that Dolores the kind of final quote that I kind of pulled out from Dolores was um it's questionable what the repercussions of this are when everyone's done is there side effects all the doctors that i've spoken to said no so i think that's again trusted health professionals she's quoting trusted health professionals which again subliminally you might take with more weight maybe um and them saying no and i think that's a big red flag yeah Yeah. massive and it also goes like same with Stasi being like, yeah, this it's pretty much just like taking a vitamin, you know. And you, and the more that you hear different people say this, the more the same kind of message is coming through. You might be like, wow, this is so like so risk free. Of course, I'm going to use it to lose this like ten kilos or five kilos. Um, but yeah, obviously now you know that that's not the case. Not just from yes, there is that thyroid risk and other risks as well, but mostly that that weight is going to rebound when you come off it if you do come off it and and yeah. you know like none of those have either talked about they've just talked about using it like I know that Dolores talked about using it to, to lose 30 pounds yeah um and she's lost you know 20 and she's like realistically I want to get down another 10 but 
and same thing with Stasi. She's been like, okay, I'm going to use it to lose the baby weight. Neither of them have look, have talked about this being a long term thing for mm. them. It's both been used to lose a short lose term. weight, short term, and kind of that's what we're also seeing with a lot of the the celebrities who have been rumored to use it, like Kim Kardashian to fit mm. in her Marilyn Monroe dress. Um, another few like. Um, celebrities as well is like that have used it for a specific period of time or used to lose quite a like small amount of weight is like it's not being talked about that Mm. actually that's not a this is a long-term thing not a short-term weight loss yeah it's not a diet it's a long-term i'm signing up to stay on this drug yeah completely i think this is a really raw and good um account from another influencer who has used the drug Remy Bader and she uh after she went off the drug she has been who she's someone who's been open about having battles with binge eating before said that coming off it it caused another cycle of bad binging so I think I'll quote her here I saw a doctor and they were like it's 100% because you went on Ozempic it, it was making me think I wasn't hungry for so long. I lost some weight. I didn't want to be obsessed with being on it long term. I was like, I bet the second I get off this, I'm going to get starving again. And I did. And my binging got so much worse. And then I kind of blamed Ozempic. Mm. Which, obviously, this is just an account. This isn't science-based. But, like, absolutely. Changing from having an 800-calorie diet and then losing the appetite suppression, your hunger cues and those cravings would come in so thick and fast and oh yeah I couldn't absolutely you're gonna completely it's like that rubber band analogy but in hunger you know like you're gonna rebound your metabolism which has been suppressed your hunger's been suppressed it's now gonna suddenly as soon as you take that rip that rug under your feet Mm. that's gonna just rebound back to where it was and and they see that a lot in um and anorexic recovery as well is moving out of anorexia into a hybrid of orthorexia combined with binge eating Mm. it's really common yeah and it's that i guess once you kind of like get around the mentality of i can eat these things then that you kind of like it's like i guess taking away that kind of veil of self-control massive self-control that's been yeah and suddenly it's like that's that shield's been taken away and the hunger kind of comes back and it's sort of like that you can see why it's like your body is like tuned for survival survival. yeah (laughs) it's literally like you need to eat more yeah like it is not and then you can see why that cycles because of the guilt that still exists around that but yeah, it's, yeah, you can see how it comes about. And actually, one of the things we didn't talk about in terms of like the long term effects is that, I mean, we don't yet know what the long term effect of someone eating 800 calories for like the rest of their life would be in terms on of mental like, health as well. Mental, yeah, mental health, nutrition. Like we've really seen this with people that have bariatric surgery. Mm-hmm. It takes a huge mental toll for them to get their head around like not being able to eat the volume of food or drink the volume of food that they've previously been able to and eat. And just keep up socially as yes, well. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. just being able to like you know do something as normal as go out for dinner mm-hmm. and how that's such a mental like amy who i talked to on the podcast a few weeks ago about her bariatric surgery experience like that she was like i was sitting on the couch and i was like something's missing something's missing and i was getting quite anxious because i was like what am i missing and she was like i was missing a cup of tea and a biscuit in my hand like it was as simple as that but i like i couldn't have that i couldn't mm. have that volume of food i couldn't have that but that was it took me a long time to get over that because i just felt like this 
kind of like part of me I, I probably the same as what cigarette smokers feel like when they give that up and they don't have that it's like the ghost tea and bicky yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah like the ghost cigarette yeah, yeah exactly crazy and so you know you go from that 800 calorie appetite suppression to then now suddenly go back to a normal appetite mm-hmm. and you're when well, there's nothing there to be suppressed and i think this must be so really also the guilt and shame exactly. that must come with that yeah. like feeling like you have no self-control yeah because previously you haven't it hasn't required any kind of effort on your behalf to eat so eat a lot less and now you don't have that medication giving you that and so therefore you but as she was saying as Remy was saying it was kind of like I felt like it was my fault yeah yeah and that is a huge part of binge eating Mm. disorder anyway is that kind of guilt and shame shame that comes with a binge and to exacerbate that, I think, yeah, it's just devastating for anybody. So this is why we're so careful with our patients to like titrate them off and try and build up their metabolism before they come off it because we really need to get the metabolism back up and, the, and some of that appetite back up so that you don't go from eating 800 calories now to even like 1600 calories which would mean that you're gonna you're gonna gain weight on that there's no way around that and so we have to try and get your body used to gradually increasing that so it's it's not as big a jump and that's that's the way it's the same thing for when people go on like a really low calorie diet like the hcg diet 500 calories and then they lose their weight and then they stop the the injections or drops whatever they're using and then they go back to eating a normal amount and their weight rebounds it's like it's it's normal because your your metabolism you're eating so much more that of course your body's going to store more of is fat so we have to try and gradually increase that gradually increase your metabolism to catch up and that's also why i think that stassi's use of it postpartum is also probably quite problematic as well Mm. because like postpartum you need so many more nutrients to repair like you have literally ripped a dinner size dinner plate sized hole in your uterus as the placenta is removed and that placenta that dinner plate that's that's gone out is packed with all of your nutrients like leaving your body (laughs) yeah so like you need so many more nutrients and if you're then only getting 800 calories worth of food like regardless whether you're breastfeeding or not like that yes if you are if you are wanting to breastfeed then that's going to make it so much harder as well but even if you're not just that repairing like and replacing all of your nutrients is just like that is so much harder to do when you've got like so little food that you can that you can eat and i think it's really important as well to like know in that postpartum phase too not only do you need to repair parts of your body and heal but also like low nutrient levels is hugely linked to postnatal depression and th- and mental health so you're already going to be setting yourself up for a higher risk of something like that when you're not eating enough food and getting in those nutrients yeah and also too if you're feeling a bit nauseous you know mm. like if that's the way that it works through its appetite suppression effect then you try being constantly like slightly nauseous or well, not even maybe slightly a lot of people get very nauseous it's the number one reason why people can't stay on it is, is because it like the nausea is too bad and the nausea can last for up to 20 weeks so yeah. it's a long time and 
like that plus like lack of sleep and just getting used to a new life with a new baby and and you know whether it's yeah. your first baby or your third baby it's still in a massive addition to your life and a change in your life and so wow like that mm. is like not something to be messed with and amy schumer actually has come out and said that she was on ozempic and that she felt so ill on it that mm. she couldn't play with her son anymore that she was like this actually isn't the life for me and so she's come off it because of that so I think you know as a new mum as well it's kind of like what are you what do you want to give your child the most or obviously it's what you want your own body the most to it like do you want to be energetic and recover really well and and you know have that energy for your baby and your loved ones or do you feel huge societal pressure to bounce back to your pre-baby or better body yeah yeah it's really interesting like I can honestly say I didn't feel any pressure Mm. whatsoever like I don't know whether that's I mean I'm not a celebrity Mm. um so definitely those that are more seeing their bodies online all the time but I was like this is so normal I feel like it's gotten better there used to be a way worse culture about needing to bounce back from your baby weight However, it still exists there, absolutely. Yeah. And I think And I'm probably saying that from a very privileged perspective where I was like I would have been at my pre baby weight or lower by within like ten months. So it sort of was it was quite I didn't have to necessarily work at it. No, I didn't yeah. no, I didn't I didn't even really need to like consciously do too much more than what I was doing to in order to achieve that there was a little bit but not really and so that is I like that's what I was saying it, mm. it came from a very privileged position quite like unexpected for me as someone who had always sort of struggled with that so it was quite interesting for me that that's what my body did but maybe I would have felt differently had I now been like 16 months postpartum and it still wasn't gone I might feel that pressure more but she's talking like straight after after birth right and I think that's like I I, you know I think that I definitely didn't feel any any form of pressure from that perspective like immediately after like I was like super happy to go and buy myself new bigger jeans because I was Mm. like why on earth would I try and fit into like uncomfortable clothes like I don't know why this is so not normal to do that like of course your body's going to be and maybe it was well as that I had a cesarean section so I definitely felt like a bit more like pain in my abdomen like sort of like tingling numbness so it was like yeah I think that that was it but yeah I, I just do wonder that if that is for a lot of people like maybe you just need to query that a little bit more and be like why am I feeling this and what yeah. What do I need to do to not feel like this? As opposed to just like, okay, what do I need to, to do to lose weight? Like, mm. Actually, what do I need to do to more ignore that societal pressure? How can I, how can yeah. I focus on that and more as opposed to like the focusing on the weight loss? Completely. And I think I was going to touch on this a wee bit when we were talking about Remy as well, was what, what kind of uh, screening is being done around going on as impact and previous disordered eating or mm. um and obviously we're not like i'm not saying that anyone who has previously suffered from disordered eating should be ruled out from accessing this this medication because you know different life stages and this might be what you do need at 
completely that's completely valid too but more just around understanding or get for the gp or the doctor to get a better understanding of the patient make sure that this is the right drug and the right option for them and then if that is the case maybe support around that like where is you know are we seeing support in terms of nutritionists being prescribed as well or um even therapists i know that uh one particular company will set you up with a noom um account Mm -hmm. and we we looked into that as well didn't we so Mm -hmm. noom being a a weight management App. app yeah so they have partnered with Noom to provide anyone... So Sixender. Sixender. Yeah. Anyone using Sixender can access Noom for free mm. um, for two months, two years, is it? Yeah, I don't know. I'm not I don't sure. Know I yeah. had an end date on it, but... But yeah, so, that, so that's kind of being offered, but I think that's a big piece as well, and I think this is something I see on TikTok um, and other social documentation of people using this drug is what they're eating in a day and oftentimes it's might be 800 calories because the appetite suppression but the quality of that diet is not in line with weight loss so it's almost Mm. as if it's like a being used as a bypass to still be able to eat the same foods that you want And, and i've seen people do their what i eat in a day on ozempic and they contain cocktail, sugary cocktails and alcohol as opposed mm. to using those 800 calories for nutrient-rich foods that are going to further help support your health. And I think that's where we also need yeah, support and guidance in how to get the best out of these lifestyle changes for your body and then hopefully keep them long-term because of what you've learned during that time. Yeah, exactly. And... Amy was saying the same thing in our podcast a few weeks ago about bariatric surgery. Like, mm. she was like, because of like funding cuts and stuff like that, there is now no longer any kind of like psychological screening to see whether people are like ready for this, if they have like a lot of the dietary like and lifestyle changes that are going to support them coming off it. And so she was like, yeah, I think this is a major problem why people are having weight regain at like three years. Mm. And uh, and so, and and the answer, unfortunately, is not to try and help them with that, but it's un, it's then going to the more severe bariatric surgery. It's yeah. like, oh, mini bypass didn't work, okay. Or you've gained your weight again after three years, okay. Now full bypass. And so, and isn't that so interesting? Because a little bit of preventative care or like post op yeah. support would be more cost effective in the long run than you know surgeries are expensive they're hugely expensive so totally yeah this is a massive problem that we have like within insurance and stuff i mean i've had Mm. multiple conversations with insurance and accurists about like preventative care so accurists are the statisticians statisticians who work with insurance companies basically to assess risk and therefore what they're going to pay for and what they're not and um i just we're talking with one when i was in san fran last year in san francisco and she was like we wouldn't give a shit about prevention <laughs> she yeah. was like i'm gonna be really honest with you we don't give a care because we just factor that in even like if it's like a 50 percent reduction in risk that's still 50 percent i'm paying for that i shouldn't have paid for because that person wasn't going to develop that type of diabetes anyway yeah so she was like but what i care about is when they get onto that expensive thing is about actually then like for example it's insulin mm. getting them off that 
So maybe that's also what we're going to see with insurance companies. Insurance companies are going, shit, we can't pay for these all these people to stay on as in Pukka because they're expensive drugs. Mm. Especially for the next five or ten years. I don't know how long patents last for, but... You know, they're Until not those competitors generics. come in, yeah. yeah, or yeah, and they're certainly not going to become a generic for a long time. No. So they're going to want to get people off that, and so their goal is going to be maybe getting people off that, which, as we know, doesn't mean that means that those results aren't going to last. So um, yeah, so I think that it's really important to there's politics behind it oh, all as so well. Yeah, and you don't understand that if you're the mm. patient, you go, well, of course my doctor should be making the right decision for me, or my insurance company surely they'll want to do the best by me. But that's not the case at all, mm. right? Like they've all got their own agendas yeah. in some ways too. Yeah, absolutely. And the same thing what Amy was saying about bariatric surgery. She's like, don't just ask your surgeon what type of surgery because they're going to put you on because they know that they get repeat business if like the sleeve didn't work okay now we'll do the mini bypass and they get basically three goes at it she was like whereas if you go full bypass then that's much more effective long term for a lot of people and you then don't have to pay three times for that so <sighs> it is yeah it, it is and a I big think thing. further to that as well is another pop culture fact here so Sophie Turner who's the Game of Thrones star married to Joe Jonas she retweeted who's she, who's she in Game of Thrones? Uh, Sansa ah, yeah. Yeah. she um, retweeted a post and I can't remember who it's by I think it was an author um, saying that she had just been to time this author had just been to Times Square and seen these two different um, Times Square like live bill billboard things um advertising ozempic and something else um another version of ozempic essentially promoting the speed of weight loss so inject the weight loss away essentially two different billboards even though they are it's not an fda approved medication for weight loss so i think again i mean pharma companies um I think people do see through this. Pharma companies just push, push, push onto doctors and doctors also push pharma. So be aware of that. They are huge money-making businesses. The share price of, and I said this earlier, but the share price of Novo Nordisk, which is the company that own Ozempic, is, it, it has grown like, I don't know, 300% maybe, don't quote me, but mm. huge amounts in the last few years just because of the, crazy demand that they're getting for this drug and obviously that's going to boost you know sales so yeah, absolutely so yeah i think going back to the binge eating thing i think that a lot of people that do have binge eating disorder don't realize they do because mm-hmm. they just think it's their lack of self-control and that's why they're in their situation and so you go take that drug it, it, it suppresses your appetite and then you go and then that gets pulled out from underneath you and then suddenly it's you're back to having these wild blood sugar swings which is what caused the binge eating or what contributed to the binge eating disorder in the first place and therefore you're going to feel like you're back at square one so I definitely think there should be not just prior history of binge eating disorder but really current screening for that and then going okay because really we know because we're disordered eating practitioners um we spend a lot of time getting accredited and doing a lot of training to understand this more and we know that it is it is actually impossible to recover from an eating disorder as well as lose weight at the same time yeah and so i think that this is something that needs to be 
looked at and and someone says actually this is what's happening to you at the moment we've got to actually fix the binge eating first and yes then we can go on this but if you do this now mm. when you come off it you're going to be things worse. will be amplified yeah. yeah and much worse and all of that guilt and shame that comes with it is also probably going to be amplified because you also have that the guilt and shame of someone who lost weight and then re- regained it which we mm. know happens to so many people they Amy was talking about this in her podcast of like, what are people going to think about me if I've, you know, oh, she's, she had the surgery and now she's blowing out or, mm. you know, all of that, all of those awful mind games that go on with people with like weight regain. So yeah, I think that it's really important to do that screening first and, and to, um, yeah, and to, to make sure that you're like, you're in the best place to do that and utilize it at a good time. Yeah, completely. Any other celebs that we've got? Um, one other, Tim McGraw and Faith Hill's daughter, Gracie McGraw, spoke a wee bit about it and has been using it specifically for PCOS. Um, so that's quite interesting. I think there's a little bit of interesting things here as well. Um, to get the correct dose diagnosis, you would need two out of the five characteristics of PCOS and add four. It's technically the Rotterdam criteria is two out of three. Mm. Um but maybe she's they talking about a few other symptoms. May, yeah, maybe yeah. doing a different criteria as well. There are a few, few yeah, criteria. Yeah, a few different ones. Yeah. yeah. Um, during my appointment with my with my endocrinologist, I realized that may have been a factor issue with my weight. So we decided to try medication to regulate my body more normally and create the tools to continue to keep my body and myself healthy, healthy as I get older. Uh, she did use Ozempic last year and now is on a low dose of Monjaro. And it's working out well. Um, no need to accuse me about this when I have been open about it. So people are feeling um, attacked. attacked. Yeah, yeah I think that it was also um, Dolores said that as well. Yeah, it's kind of why she came out and was like, and and yeah, I think that people maybe do feel like that because mm. they feel like the people will be judging them for. Mm maybe taking a shortcut i know that amy said the same thing about bariatric surgery that a lot of people feel like that's a cop out yeah but it's not like it's not at all it's not at all tried this for many years and you know like you haven't even been given the right advice or nothing's been working for you and so of course you're going to want to do that and i think that there absolutely should not be any judgment whatsoever no matter what what your weight so i think that whether it's that you want to lose five kilos or want to lose 50 kilos or 150 kilos it's that's your choice but I yeah. think the main thing is is realizing that a understanding so that you begin it with the right consent and b I think learning or making sure that there's some guidance around lifestyle changes alongside whether it's bariatric surgery or um, a drug like Ozempic so that you can be doing the best for your health overall and for the long term yeah Yeah. and also really weighing it up and being like okay if if it is a smaller amount of weight like 10 5 to 10 kilos which would be you know 10 to 20 plus pounds is this actually the best long-term way to do that or yes it might absolutely achieve what i want to but i then am i I, am i willing to then stay cuffed to that Yeah. yeah or work with someone who can try and titrate me off and increase my metabolism and, and put that put that work in to do that but most of the time I would say that you've got to expect especially if it's a much smaller amount like five kilos I think you probably have to expect that that's not going to stay off when you come off it yeah most, for, in my experience of seeing people and 
and it's not really what is designed for no so um and even the same thing like with a lot of the insulin resistance improvements they are also reversed when coming off it as well so sometimes like pcos symptoms might get better so other things like acne or hirsutism but again coming off that when insulin goes back up testosterone will go back up and therefore you'll get that if you haven't been putting those lifestyle things in place during that time to help buffer that transition off it as well then definitely we could see things reverse back yeah exactly but then yeah and and we probably don't have enough data or patient experience yet to tell you absolutely we can we can mitigate that through lifestyle changes but we're seeing promising yeah promising results from those patients that are on it that if we combine it with getting them into eat in the right way to actually improve that underlying pcos drivers then we're getting better outcomes coming off it as opposed to you know like yes your appetite suppression and just basically well what is often you see on tiktok on instagram which is like and basically what i want on a zimpic mm. or monjaro whatever they're on and lose weight then yeah you're probably going to end up because you haven't learned those skills to come out the other side to know how to continue to see improvements with insulin and continue to see yeah or not even continue to see but just to maintain even maintain, a little bit yeah. of the improvement that you have yeah. while you're on on the drug so yeah so main thing would be our late recommendation is think very carefully especially if it's a lower weight that you want to lower amount of weight that you want to lose um just weighing up that pro and con i think that the same thing applies for someone at a higher body weight but the at a higher body weight um this spiral of insulin and testosterone and weight gain is much harder to get out of and therefore this can be something that's really helpful for getting into that but the same thing you still need to work on that underlying driver and getting those lifestyle changes in place and also for a lot of people it's a kickstarter not a magic bullet yeah Yeah. exactly but also like a lot of people at a much higher body weight Mm. there are a lot of things that it is making life really uncomfortable for them they are like it's making mobility really hard like Amy and her podcast talked about things like just being able to help in the garden mm. like you know she was like I don't get how my husband could just keep going and going and going I'd have to like come inside and lie down whereas now I get it now I can actually bend over and pick out weeds quality of life like, completely yeah, huge completely. quality of life being able to like be comfortable in an airplane seat being able to be comfortable in a, in a car like yeah. as well just all of those things whereas if it's only like kind of like what Dolores was where she was sort of 70 kilos or a hundred and what's about 152 pounds and wanting to get down to 130 pounds or 52 kilos like that's not really life changing amounts right like you can still do pretty much everything when you're at 70 kilos and so I think the pro and con comes down to your situation yeah needs to be a lot you know like when it's that lower amount of body weight is what i'm saying is you really need to weigh up those cons a lot more mm-hmm. than yeah. for probably someone at a higher body weight yeah no that's such a valid point yeah i think i think that's a really good summary of kind of what we're seeing what we're hearing and what we want you guys to read between the lines of as well 